In our study of victory in Exodus, somebody said yes or yesterday, last week, they didn't realize that this is a this is a walk through the entire book of Exodus. It, it is. We we will basically go verse by verse uh, through the book of Exodus. There will be chunks of 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 of. Um, you know, stories, and, and there might be a few things that we pass over that it's a little more narration as compared to the victory aspect, but, you know, we looked, uh, does anybody remember the first the first week it was victory in, does anybody remember? <laughs> affliction, victory in affliction, yes. Um, so that the nation of Israel, the children of Israel, the Hebrews, they were growing even though they were being afflicted, and we talked about how sometimes God has to take us through stress, through trials to grow us so that we can grow the right kind of ways. Um, you know, in a, uh, I, I don't want to go into too much detail, but literally this week had a situation come up where it looks like I'm going to be able to use my own personal um, spiritual journey, some challenges that I've had in my life, to meet with somebody to to uh, minister to them. They've, they're, they're literally asking for counsel in the exact same areas that, that I've had to that I've had to walk through. So, um, so yeah, it, you know, I pray that the Lord uses those things. Um, so, victory and affliction. Then the next week was, which was last week, was victory in. Anybody remember? It seemed contradictory. Victory in. No. No. I'm not. I'm not moving on until fear. Something. fear. Thank you. Victory and fear, and having fear of the right things. What? What? Yeah, you were scared to answer. I know, but you should have victory in that fear. I like the way you think, sir. Um, yes. Yes. Spoken like a true dad joke. Um, so, victory in affliction, victory in in fear. Today we're going to talk about victory in. What was your guess? Submission. Oh, submission. So close. Victory in surrender. Okay? Victory in surrender. And we're going to look at the last verse of Exodus 1, just to help with a little bit of context, and uh, the first 10 verses in Exodus chapter 2. So we're going to do like we did last time. We're going to break it down in the three... Oh, you probably want these. I... Uh, I... I... Uh, I always, in, in service, I don't think I grabbed enough for over here. In service, I kind of do a, a quick gaze. I think I, uh, I think I got in the ballpark, so I don't print extras. I try to be a good steward there, but there might, there's extras over there. I just didn't do a great job splitting them up. So, so I think we're, Chris, I think we're going to need a couple over here. So, in, and so you'll see the victory, or so we'll see the uh, the situation, the struggle, and the victory. So we'll follow our theme. So in our in our situation, we see these verses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, "Every son that is born, you shall cast into um, in, into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive." This is his reaction to the midwives not killing the boy babies. So now he's up the game 
to straight out, I mean, it was murder before, but now it's kind of, it was targeted murder. Now it's, I guess, more mass murder. He's, it's an edict that's going out. Um, so we see that context. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and she bare a son. And when she saw, uh, or, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. So we're going to look at the situation. I mean, this situation is, it's a hard situation. Like, it's a hard situation. She is blessed with a, with a child, and now she has to kill him. She has to throw him in the river, or have him thrown in the river. But first, we need to lay a little bit more groundwork, a little more, a little bit. On, on, and I, I failed to put underlines on the screen for what you have. So I am sorry. I apologize. For, I was out late last night watching fireworks, and uh, they were really good, but I just didn't get underlines, so I apologize. But there's a timeline here, and don't read into Scripture what isn't there. Okay, so I'm not doing this as a full-blown like study lesson, but I do want to talk about it. In Exodus 2, verse 1, it says, And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she had him three months. It sounds like this is her first child. If you just read the sentence, it kind of sounds like there's this, lady, this guy, this lady, they get married, and they have a kid, and now they're in this situation. But don't read into what's not there in Scripture. There's a big gap between the period after the daughter of Levi and the woman conceived and bare a son. There's an indeterminate, actually, period of time that we know. We know it's at least years. I'll, let, I'll make that argument here in just a moment. But, but it's at least years. So Moses' father and Moses' mother... So I'll, I'll make the argument who they are in just a second here. Become husband and wife. We know in Exodus 6, a few chapters later, Amram took Jochebed, his father's sister to wife, and she bare him Aaron and Moses. So that's Moses' parents are Amram and Jochebed. Are we good? We also know that Amram and Jochebed had at least two other children before Moses. So in Numbers 26, the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, same people, the daughter of Levi, confirmation, jumping a little farther in the verse, and she bare unto Amram Aaron and Moses and Miriam, their sister. This is not in, not in uh, chronological order, it's just listed. Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. So we know that, Mo, uh, that Aaron and Miriam were at least two, the, two siblings. We also know that Miriam has to be older, and I would argue a few years older than Moses, because Moses, when he's put in the ark in verse 4, and the ark of bulrushes, and he's you know, let out by Jochebed, that Miriam is his sister who stood afar off to wit what would be done unto him. So, and then she has an interaction with, the, uh, with Pharaoh's daughter that is certainly more mature than a three-year-old would have or a five-year-old would have, right? 
So Miriam appears to be years older, but, but we don't know. At least I, I didn't see it in Scripture. Now, what we also know is that Aaron was older than Moses because in Exodus 7.7, 7, Moses was four year scores older. So we talk like Abraham Lincoln and we say four score years ago, which is how old? 40. Four score, so a score is 20 years. So it'd be 80 years old and Aaron, four score and three years old. So he's 83. So we know that Miriam is several years older because of the interaction with three-month-old baby Moses. And we know that Aaron is three years older. So that means that Aaron, Aaron's birth predated this order to have the children cast in the river. I guess arguably it could have been during the time of the midwives, but I kind of get the feeling that this was kind of a flowing situation, right? That didn't work, and they went right into to, to throwing the kids into the water. So, so don't read into Scripture what's not there. If you read Exodus chapter 2 and verse... Um, Exodus 2 and verse 1, And there went a man out of the house of Levi and took a wife, daughter of Levi, verse 2, and the woman conceived and bare a son, Moses. You might think Moses is the oldest. But comparing Scripture with Scripture, the entirety of Scripture will lay out the argument, will lay out the position. Now, I'm only sharing that with you because when I read it, I was like, well, Moses isn't the, is Moses the oldest one? And I was like, no, he can't be because this, so like, as I was even reading this, just I had that moment and I thought, I want to be transparent, I want to be, these are the ways you dig into scripture and God uh, bears, bears uh, uh, things of life. So, so now, we see she bare a son and honestly, that had to hurt. That had to hurt. She knows that, according to Scripture, the order existed before Moses was born. Can you imagine the prayer of the mother? Be a girl. Be a girl. Be a girl. Be a girl. The prayer of a father? Be a girl. Be a girl. And he's not. That had to be hard. That had to be real, real hard. And I cannot put myself in that situation. Like, it's literally impossible for me to try to put myself in the situation of Amram or certainly Jochebed as a, as a mom and understand the emotions involved with the blessings of having a child but the overarching cloud of knowing he was going to die. Like, that's really hard stuff. I mean, I, I can't, I literally cannot wrap my head around it. Notice in the verse up on the screen, Hebrews 11, which is often referred to as the, the hall of faith. In Hebrews 11.23, it says, By faith... Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. So the faith is actually of the parents. Moses had nothing to do with this faith, right? This was the faith of his parents. He was hid three months. 
I would do the same. I even tried to come up with the the I I, I was going to come up with a picture. I, I don't have you ever seen the uh, a quiet place part 2? Okay, so there was a quiet place came out a few years ago. Well, I think quiet place I don't even what is it still called a quiet place 2 version .2. I don't know what they called the follow up the sequel. So does do y'all know the premise of the quiet place? So aliens invade the earth and they like hear super well, they're blind but they hear super well so everybody has to be quiet. So like you could be standing next to the alien and so long as you didn't make a sound it didn't know you were there. It's the premise of a movie. Okay? During the first movie the wife is pregnant. Which sounds wonderful until you have to be quiet delivering a baby. And until a baby makes a sound. Exactly. So the second movie, really it kind of explores the, the, the challenges in this fictitious world of keeping a baby quiet as part of the dynamic of, but I mean like silent. And I, when I was reading this, I had this kind of moment, because they build like a, a box that's like a soundproof box and they've wired an, uh, uh, an, a, uh, a little infant oxygen mask in so the baby can breathe. I'm not ruining the movie, trust me. Um, the, the, so the baby can breathe, but in a sealed box so it can even cry, but nothing, no one, you know, the bad aliens can't hear it. Okay, that, I, I'm not endorsing the movie. I'm just sharing with you this, this moment flashback where... Like, they got to hide this kid. How do you hide a kid for this long? Like, that's, that's hard. So, blessings sometimes are hard. Sometimes they're real hard, like this. Where you know if you're found out, I mean, there's no implication in Scripture that the parents are going to be killed or, or in any wise punished for not killing the kid. But at any moment, somebody could come through their door and take that kid and, and murder it. Like, that's a hard blessing. That's a hard situation to be in. Where you don't know, and it, the most beautiful place you can live is when you have to walk by faith. And so literally, that's the glimpse that we see here, is that his parents were not just hiding him for three months, but hiding him in faith three months. That's where the faith comes from. It doesn't take any, any uh, faith to hide a kid. What it takes is faith to hide the kid knowing that they could be taken at any point in time. That causes you to seek the face of the Lord big time. Big time. And notice in Jeremiah 31, Jesus actually referenced it later. Um, or I'm sorry, it was referenced uh, about Jesus and his, his youth. He, didn't, he was too young to actually talk about this. Um, but notice in Matthew 2, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, right? So he, where is the baby? Because I want to find him because I want to kill him because I'm the king. Um, and they don't come back. He was sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently acquired of the wise men. So Herod, when Jesus is born, in an attempt to wipe out the Messiah, 
kills all the kids that are two years old and under because of the timeline that the wise men gave him of when the Messiah was born. Now remember Jesus and his family, they had hid or fled in this case to Egypt, right? But notice in verse 17, then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy, the prophet, not you, but different, but Jeremiah, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel, or Rael, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children, because they were not. So this, is a, this isn't referencing this exact incident in Exodus. This is all after the prophet Jeremiah certainly records it many years later many, many years later from this moment in Exodus, Jesus, or I'm sorry, the story about Jesus and the attempt to take Jesus' life is referring back to Jeremiah. But notice the context. It's almost identical. And Sam said it a few, a, 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 a few weeks ago when he was preaching in Genesis. Satan has always been trying to mess up the lineage of the Messiah. He's always been trying to, 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 to get at the DNA, to get at the lineage, to mess it up, to, to, to taint it, to stop it. Because if he can't be born, he can't crush my head. And God then is a liar. So it's a... I don't know if I'll use the word brilliant but I guess I have to use. It's a wise, from a serpent, um, satanic point of view. He's doing everything he can to keep that Messiah from coming. And one of these things in, happens here, but also happens in Exodus. He's trying to get Pharaoh to wipe out the Jews, the Hebrews. But notice again the specifics. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. I cannot imagine if we were at a couple... What, what did we say if, uh, 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 last week with the midwives? Three to four mid... Three, you know, a couple of verse, births a day per midwife. Six or so babies being born, between six to eight babies being born three to four boys on average being chucked into the water every day. Like, hard situation. Like, a constant reminder of how bad it is. Stinks. It's a bad, bad situation. So let's move to the struggle. Struggle, I think, is pretty clear. She came to a realization that she could no longer hide him. We don't know the dynamics. We don't know why. I don't know if she had to leave the tent and go work and she couldn't take him with, you know, she couldn't do that trench coat with the kid, you know, under. Uh, like, I don't, like, she could no longer hide him. She realized she had come to the end of it. She took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink and his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him. So this is the struggle. She finds herself knowing she can no longer take care of him. 
and she couldn't control the outcome, but she had to do something, right? I mean, she had to do something. She didn't want to see... I mean, it would have been hard women who give up children for adoption at birth, that's a hard thing. Knowing that that child is being taken away and killed is, I don't know, exponentially harder. But then hanging on to the kid for three months and then losing him is harder yet. So she had to do something. She was compelled to do something. So she was at a decision point. Most likely, it would be certain death unless some sort of miracle happened that an angel came and swooped in and lifted him out of the water. If she went up and put him in that water, a bad thing was going to happen. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But without a miracle, it was certain death. And you could argue that the events that come forward here in a few minutes as we study this will be a miracle themselves, but or as well. But, but without the protection. So there's possible survival using a biblical precedent. A biblical precedent. And that precedent is in fact Noah. Notice in Hebrews 11, still in that hall of faith, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. I can't help but think Jochebed is praying to God, talking to her friends, coming to the realization I can no longer hide him. God, what would you have me do? Whether the Holy Spirit came upon her and showed her, whether somebody was telling the story in a moment of worship about Noah, I don't know. But the pattern is exactly the same. God has warned these children are going to die. I mean, he didn't edict it, but they know. And she is moved with fear, and she prepares an ark for the saving. If you find yourself at the end of the rope, don't tie a knot and hang on. Do what somebody else at the end of the rope has already done in Scripture. Use a biblical precedent. Somebody else has already faced this situation or something very similar. You don't have to come up with a solution. God's already laid it out. But you've got to find it in Scripture. And sometimes it's the exact same thing. Sometimes it's a little different. But use a biblical precedent. Most counseling that we do in this church... When we sit down with you, we sit down with others, and we talk about where you're at, the solution is just something we have seen in Scripture. <laughs> and I, I beg, there, there have been times when I've been talking, sometimes talking to people in this very room today about counsel, and I'm like, Lord, where has this come up before? What, what is this? Li-? Aha! This is just like fill in the blank. This is what they did, and it turned out okay. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's not. It's all just uh, rainbows and roses, or whatever the phrase is. Like it's, it can still be hard. There were plenty of other women and other parents who threw their children into the river, and those children died. 
And that stinks. But she asked God, I believe, or at least he impressed upon her, a biblical precedent in Hebrews 11. So victory principle one, follow a biblical example with the resources you have. Follow a biblical example with the resources you had. She did the same thing. She did the same thing. Now first, she hid. Now, we learned this morning, hiding in a cave is a bad thing. Right? Every time somebody hides in a cave, it's a bad, bad deal. But hiding isn't always bad. Notice, now these things, of course, happened after. So she, Jochebed wouldn't have Scripture to rely on. But, but notice, this is an undeniable principle in Scripture. Keep me as the apple of thine high. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings, the psalmist says to the Lord. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. Wait a minute. Setting you upon a rock is hiding you? (laughs) Yeah, if that rock is Christ. Thou art my hiding place, my shield. I hope in thy word. And we've already seen in Hebrews 11.23, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. That was of faith. So hiding isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can be the context of hiding in a cave. We also see hiding, and I didn't take the time, but hiding, can, if you're trying to hide from the Lord, that isn't going to work out either, right? People that try to hide from the Lord, they, they get found, things get exposed, like there's consequences for that. Hide in the Lord, not from the Lord. Could have been another victory principle, but hide in the Lord. A reasonable response in the Lord. But then, she has a biblical example, I'm sorry, so she's following the biblical example with what she had. Now, she had to prepare an ark for him. She gathered materials. Some would argue that the, the, that, the, that the ark of bulrushes was actually already created, that it was a basket. I'm not here to debate that, maybe. This is a modern, uh, this is a modern, relatively modern chair. I mean, it was made in the last few years. A website that I found, wickerwoman.com, where she will take certain materials and can reproduce for museums and things like like living history museums. If they need to restore uh, a piece of furniture, that's kind of an area of expertise for her. This is an actual bulrush, the, the stalks of bulrushes. So the leaves, I actually drove around Lake Giacomo this morning. Uh, Michelle didn't even know. I, I left early. I drove around because you don't necessarily know what bulrushes are, but you do know it by a different name. It's the cat's tail, right? So you know the 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 corn dogs on a stick. They're not. Don't eat them. They're not. I mean, I don't think they're poisonous, but they're not corn dogs. But they look like corn dogs that grow on the sides of of lakes and ponds. We actually had some some cattails growing in our pond uh, a few years ago and the water receded and I got down in to the edge with a with a weed eater and that stuff is the hardest stuff to cut. The 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 grass of it is very very fibrous. And when you dry it just right and you twist it, it turns into this. 
this would not be difficult to shape into a little arc, a little boat, and to daub with, I mean, slime, I guess, and pitch. We'll talk about that in a second. With slime and pitch and make it watertight. This, was, this is not a difficult proposition, okay? Not a difficult proposition. There's actually a fair amount out there about this slime and pitch. Now, in Genesis 11, 3, it says, And they said one to another, Let us go, or go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. So this is the, the building of the Tower of Babel. And they had brick for stone, and notice, slime had they for mortar. So they had this technology for hundreds of years, certainly many dozens of years in this area. This is not a new concept. She is not developing technology. And this slime and pitch that she would have used to basically seal, to make the watertight nature of this, would have also, because pitch is arguably an, a form of asphalt, would have created an inherent ballast in this little basket. Because if you take a basket and just waterproof it and set it in the water, it's going to tip over it really quickly. So like, God, I don't know if, I don't know if Jochebed is this really wise woman or really she had some help with somebody from Amram or somebody else. But, um, you know... She, she makes this she makes this ark to protect her kid and and I, I missed a point and and I gotta say it I've been waiting to say it go back up I, I totally I totally missed it in numbers 26 I, I'm just I, I'm I, this is a guilty pleasure and I apologize but we're gonna go back here for a second so did it maybe you noticed it and the name of Amram's wife was Jochebed the daughter of Levi, and she bare him uh, uh, unto Amram, right? But look at who she is. Amram took Jochebed, his father's sister's wife. Oh. She was his aunt. And, and, and in a, t- in a, in a Sam, typical Sam format, and the whole class said, ew. Okay, so I had that note in here, and I, did, I didn't want to forget. Like, you think you have drama in your life? I don't think so. Okay, so, so victory lesson number two, God will provide what you need. He will provide the resources of what you need to get through the thing you got to get through. Now, we think resources look like dollar signs and the number of commas. I used to say the number of zeros, but the zeros could be after the decimal point, and then it kind of doesn't matter, right? The number of commas, the number of dollars. That When we think resources, we always, almost always in, in modern society think dollars equals resources. Not always. She had at her fingertips everything she needed to take care of her son. It didn't. She didn't go. To, she didn't go to the ATM, pull it out, and go buy an ark. Right? <laughs> Presumably, she made it. Okay. God will provide you whatever you need. Now, there were risks associated with this with this situation. Now, I don't want to be crass, but it's. I just got to address it. There are crocodiles that live in the Nile. I can't help but think some of these babies were crocodile food. Horrible to think about. 
But if you put your kid in an ark that's made out of a form of asphalt and layered with slime and it's buoyant, maybe a crocodile won't get him. Very smart. But even if she prevents the crocodile from getting them, there's always the chance that it could leak. And then that's bad news because he's going to sink. Three-year-old or three-month-old isn't going to be able to do anything with that. It's going to pull him down just like... So how much care do you have? Like, honey, put more slime on that. <laughs> right? <laughs> more slime. <laughs> right? Because you do not want that bad boy to sink. But there's also just the sheer... Now, like, like, I hate to say it, but she's sending her son out, and now he could just die of starvation. Like, that sounds great, but she's got to be trusting in something happening with this child. Otherwise, she's arguably a bad mom. And then there's the, the chance of crying because she didn't have one of those oxygen things like I was des- describing. Someone could hear this baby crying and decide, well, this isn't <laughs> He's a Hebrew kid. I'll use this basket at home. I mean, I, mean, I hate to be crass, but I mean, they are killing kids. They are killing kids. So there is all sorts of chances for this situation to fail. So one of the things you need to take away from this is every time you are working through your plan, every time you're working through what God's doing, there are going to be risks. Don't talk yourself out of it. I mean, if she would have considered all of these things and thought, well, he's going to starve. Or if somebody hears it, like she didn't worry about everything. She trusted in what God showed her and she ran with it. Notice in Job 13, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And I, I have too much respect for scripture. I was going to kind of change that. Though he slay my son, yet will I trust him. Like I'm going to send him out there. If he dies, he dies. But at least I had three months with him. And I gave him a fighting chance. In Daniel 3, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the fiery, burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, those are some pretty strong words in the book of Daniel. But if not, he's still God. I'm still not going to worship you. So, brings us to victory principle three. A lot of principles today. Do what you can, and then trust the Lord. Don't be found not executing on what God's given you. Do what you can, and trust the Lord. And as we transition to the victory... I won't read all of this, but I think you know the story. Basically, Pharaoh's daughter comes. She's going to wash herself at the river. She's got some ladies. She sees the ark. She opens it. She sees the child. The babe was crying. She has compassion on him. Surely this has got to be one of the Hebrew children because why would an Egyptian mother do this, right? 
and then she says to the to uh, to to the said the sister to, to Pharaoh's daughter, "Shall I go to call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for thee?" Uh, there's a whole other story here about how Miriam saves her brother. Right, and the Pharaoh's daughter says, "Yep, go, go get." And and she actually goes and gets Jochebed <laughs> to take care of. The, like Jochebed's tears haven't even dried, and she gets her kid back. So, God can use anything to accomplish the plan. Don't outthink it. Don't you try to do the calculus on this. It's too big for you. God used some dirt to accomplish this plan. You say, dirt? Well, Pharaoh's daughter had to go wash. Now, there's some debate in the, in the, in the, around the word. You may, if you're using a King James Bible, herself is italicized. Some people argue that that's added, that she's not actually washing herself, she's washing her clothes. I don't... Look, I believe that that word herself is added because... Like, why would Pharaoh's, the daughter of Pharaoh, be washing her own clothes? They make the, some people make the argument that would not have been out of, out of bounds for Pharaoh's daughter. Maybe, maybe not. But I'm pretty sure she wouldn't be the one in the water. Like, I don't know. That just feels awkward to me. Like, God used some dirt, and this woman had to go wash herself in a specific place and find, find this kid. I mean, praise the Lord, he used dirt to accomplish it. And he uses Pharaoh's daughter. So whether she was washing her own hands, feet, or body, or she was washing her clothes, he uses dirt and the lost to accomplish his goal. Nobody saw this one coming. Don't try to do the calculus on it. Don't think, if I put him in the ark at the, just the right time, and I see her coming, then, it, then it'll all work out according to my plan. That's not what she did. She turned it over to the Lord and trusted him. She did her part, but she trusted him. So, I just really quick, he's used or allowed storms, fish, soldiers, crowds, prison guards, children. Oh, I have fish twice. Other fish, scheming brothers, even Satan himself to accomplish his goals. Oh, and better I mention fish. Um, so you, I think, have a line here. What has God used in your life to accomplish his plan? Write it down. If you, I mean, if you want, you don't have to. But I bet he's used something you didn't expect. He used a car wreck in my life. He used all sorts of things in our lives. to Broken relationships. He has used all sorts of things. Oh, and even fish. Twice. <laughs> or multiple times. He's even used Satan... I love this about the Lord. He gives Satan just enough wiggle room to execute his plan. I love it. He is that loving and that powerful. Now, seeing is important, and we'll go over this fairly quickly. In 2, we see it in chapter 2. And when the mom, Jochebed, saw that he was a goodly child, so I actually considered putting up, trying to find pictures of ugly babies. Like, I've seen some babies that aren't as cute as other babies, 
But aren't all babies pretty cute? And I'm pretty sure all the parents are like, no, this one's not worth keeping. Let's throw him in the river. No. Every, right, right. I mean, his nose, he's got two holes in it. Um, no. But she saw, like, she saw that he was goodly. She, she loved him. The same with, with Pharaoh's daughter. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. Like, there's something special about seeing, right? Even in, when it's referenced in Hebrews 11, which we've already looked at. Notice what happens when you see Jesus. And when they were coming to the house, they, the wise men, saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. John in one uh, twenty nine and thirty six. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, "Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world." And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, "He saith, Behold, the Lamb of God." Seeing is important. Now, can God use the blind? Of course, He can. That's not my point. Sometimes He uses the blind to accomplish a, or blindness to accomplish His goals, right? But seeing is important. And part of that led to the compassion that Pharaoh's daughter had. She heard the baby cry. She had to have concluded it was a Hebrew child, whether it was the way he looked or the fact that why would, a he, why would an Egyptian mother do this, right? She must have perceived in that moment the love of the parents because of the situation. Like, she had compassion on him. She had compassion. And did you know this is the first mention? I'm a big fan of first mention. First mention's a big deal in Scripture. Some people, I do think, make too big of a deal out of it. But it's a big deal in Scripture. The first time that we see compassion, the word compassion, or even the Hebrew equivalent, in Scripture, the very first time is in this situation. This woman had a form of pity had a form of, it's, it's literally, it's like empathy, right? It's painful sympathy, a sensation of sorrow exi- uh, um, excited by the distress or misfortunes of another. She literally had compassion on the mom. She had compassion on the child. She had compassion on the situation. Probably because her dad was the one that's killing these kids. And for whatever reason, God just laid it upon her heart. So, one more exercise for you. You have a line, I think. When was the victory for Jochebed? Was it when she had the baby? Because you could argue she she gave birth to Moses. When she hid the baby, you could argue that's what was referenced in Hebrews chapter 11 in the Hall of Faith. When she built the ark... When she put him in the ark, when she got him back, or when she was able to actually nurse him and raise him, when was the victory? If we look at, if we look at each of the, the, the situation, the struggle, the victory, when was the victory? I have a, a vote number seven. Did I see seven? Or? Is there a number seven option? Sure. What, 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 what's your All the above. All the above, I would argue. Without any one of these, I could argue there was no victory. Right? The victory doesn't always happen like that. 
This victory took months to play out, a lot of stress, a lot of tears, a lot of effort. I, I'm sure as Jochebed was weaving that ark, if she actually did that, she had to be doing it with tears. And if, if, if Amram was helping her, which would be kind of weird because he's her nephew, um, but also her husband. <laughs> I don't like. I don't know his involvement. Like I could do the. I could do the uh, the sitcom version of the of the dis the, the dysfunctional dad who's who's an idiot and I don't know what you're doing. Like I don't know if that's the case. Like we don't know, but what we do know is that the victory came when Moses was saved and returned. Like that's so that they say, and I'll probably reference this a few a few times in this in, in this series, that championships are won. Does anybody know? Championships are won in practice. They're given out after the game. Ch- championships are won before the the before, because you don't just walk up and execute. Like the championship here, the victory was won through this entire process. Do what you know how to do. Stick with the plan that God's given you, and then victory principle number four: rejoice in His workings. Rejoice in His workings. I can't, I can't imagine when Miriam comes walking in with the baby and like, Mom, he's going to live. He's going to be okay. And you get to take care of him. Now, it looks like at some point you're going to have to give him over. And I'm sure there were more tears. She knew where he was. But at least she knew where he was and how, that he was going to be okay. There's a victory laying out there for you. I don't know exactly what it looks like. Well, actually, I do know what it looks like. It looks like Christ. I don't know all the steps. I don't know your steps to get there, but I know what it looks like at the end, and it looks like Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you for really an amazing story that I am sure I didn't do justice to. I, I thank you for um, the just the supernatural encounter, the amazing work that you did, and the the tears that went from from pain to rejoicing. And Lord, I I'm sure it was way more than Jochebed could have ever imagined that she actually had the opportunity to raise him and maybe didn't even have to work in that process. Lord, you're, you're so good. You are so good to us. Help us to, to execute on these things in our life so that you can receive the honor and glory. We'll do our part. We've got to do our part, but you will receive the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thank you.